Welcome back to another edition of the Wits Up podcast. It is unreal to see all of your smiling faces. I uh, have just downed the quite possibly the best chicken soup I have ever had. Um, it was also uh, accompanied by some garlic naan. So I feel like uh, the two together were the perfect combination. Uh, and so I've just been sitting here reveling in the greatness that was the dinner that I just had. Are you all salivating? That is my question to you right now. Uh, This episode, we caught up with, I don't know why I say we, because it was just Emma and I, but I feel like every time I talk about Wits Up, I always sort of say we, because we are a team. Um, But I guess the podcast is, uh, it is just two people catching up. So I guess I should probably say I, I caught up with Emma Jeffcoat, who uh, her story is incredible, and uh, even though I did a bit of research and I know her, you know, reasonably okay, um, she absolutely floored me with her story, and uh, I have even more respect for her than I already did. Uh, so enjoy this. Um, this is a roller coaster, uh, but enjoy this uh, unreal chat with Emma Jeffcoat. Uh, and I'll see you at the end of it. Emma Jeffcoat, a little birdie tells me you've never done a podcast before. I have never done a podcast, so it's a pleasure, and uh, I'm glad you finally asked. (laughs) That's the thing. You actually, when you're, I guess, training uh, for something, you actually live in Melbourne about a kilometre from my house. I know, and... Isn't it always the way it would have been so easy to tee up a, a chat and a recording when I was down there and then, uh, well, to put it nicely, shit hit the fan and uh, I found myself back <laughs> home in Sydney. <laughs> uh, yeah, you summed that up quite nicely. Um, but, I mean, when you're back in Melbourne, we'll just have a just a catch-up over a glass of wine regardless um, and then nothing is off limits at all. Yeah, that's where we'll we'll talk about the real dirty secrets. <laughs> <laughs> um, first podcast. Are you nervous? No, not really. I I enjoy a chat, and I can always kind of <laughs> spin a spin a good story together. So, nah, not nervous at all. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Uh, that means I'm reading between the lines. That means I have free range uh, to ask you everything about your life. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, <laughs> you're, you're one of these people who I haven't actually known um, all that well for all that long, but he, for those listening, I can sum you up really well because um, I've, I've actually asked you to look after my daughter, my dog, and my house, which I guess means is a glowing reference that I think you are a top person. Yeah, that's a def- that's a big compliment, especially because I've seen what uh, Henry the dog gets to eat, and it's better than half my meals. <laughs> I know it's quite embarrassing when Brett's like, oh, "I'll <laughs> take a photo and I'll write the instructions so they know what." He, he eats and I'm like, man, he eats better than me. Frankie eats better than me. Let's face it. That dog's got meal prep. <laughs> I'm also quite surprised uh, that you didn't uh, get stuck into our wine racks because I know, I know you don't mind a drop of, a drop of wine. No, I do. I, I've uh, grown to like a good red wine. I think it's the years kind of spent hopping back between Spain and Australia, but uh, I think when I house sat that weekend, we might have been possibly the week before we were supposed to go to Abu Dhabi, and then that's really, mm. I guess, when the COVID stuff kicked off. So I was well behaved, and uh, I think I was nearly nearly at taper, but uh, it didn't really <laughs> go didn't go according to plan, unfortunately. No, um, and so currently uh, you are back at home in New South Wales, uh, staying staying with your folks. Yeah, I'm back at home, rent free, which is amazing. Uh, <laughs> and my um, yeah, my family's been awesome. They kind of took me straight back in, and um, yeah, it's kind of been pretty seam seamless in terms of 
kind of that transition because as you said I was living down in Melbourne and training with the Alotic triathlon group down there and still train with those guys but when uh, COVID happened kind of made that call early to to get home before Mm. well potentially you know that border shut between New South Wales and Victoria so yeah and I guess it's kind of I'm such a home body, um, but we spend like mm. a try. We spend so much time away from home, so it's kind of been, you know, a bit of a silver lining there in terms of getting that extra time back at back at home for a little while. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, anyone who follows you on social media um, or speaks to you knows uh, just how close you are with your family. Um, I mean, particularly I've noticed with your mum, Super Jeff Code. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's she's a she's a household name now. She really is. The Who came up with is, us? Oh, sorry. Well, yeah. Her, the funny thing is, her name's Sue, but I, the amount of people that ask me or have to ask, is your mum's name really Super? And I'm like, no, no, that, <laughs> it's just a nickname that really stuck. Um, yeah, it stuck, I guess, from when I was a kid. Mum was always kind of that mum in the playground that you know, with us four kids and all of our friends would be running around like a taxi all afternoon, dropping us off to all different sports. So she kind of got the name um, Superbus and then that got shortened to Super and it's kind of stuck ever since. (laughs) Oh, I love that. It's it's so funny. Um, I mean, back you know, back because I was, my mum used to uh, cart us around and then other mums would cart us around because I played a many many different sports when I was growing up but I don't think I fully appreciated just how much of a hassle it is to run your kids around until I until I grew up is that something that's kind of just dawning on you now that you're a little bit older not that you're old but you know what I mean (laughs) oh 100% I think just me having to try and organize my own days and how to kind of fit you know sometimes up to four training sessions in and maybe an appointment here or a coffee catch up there trying to schedule it all out. I'm thinking, how did my mum do this from the hours of, you know, 3.15 school pickup to seven o'clock dinner with four different kids? And, you know, I'd go from swim practice to soccer training to running at the track. Like it's insane. I don't know how she did it. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible and full kudos to anyone who's carting their kids around to get to where they need to be. Um, you you also have a brother, right? Just the one brother? Oh, so I've got a sister and two younger brothers, so I'm the eldest of four. Oh, oh okay. All right, let's talk through that. Four kids. Your mum definitely yeah. was busy. Yeah, she was. Um, Yes, I've got a sister, Meg, who's three years below me, and she's, after she finished school, she skipped straight off to the country, and as a lot of probably people know from my social media, we're big, big horse fans, this family, so uh, she's an even, she's a little bit, she's an even bigger horse freak, like OG Saddlebug style. Oh, yeah. So she skipped out of town of Sydney and uh, straight to Wagga as soon as she finished school. Uh, she's been there ever since. And I think she's, yeah, how many horses mum and dad know about? Three. How many she's actually got? We don't know. We don't know. But, um, oh, yeah, and then there's, <laughs> then there's the two boys, Will and Ben, the uh, flowerpot men. <laughs> so horses, did you guys grow up with horses? Um, the ones that are on your social media, what, are they your horses? Who, who do they belong to? Yeah, so we've grown up with horses. Um, mum, I blame mum. She got me introduced to horses when I was four. Uh, I'd kind of had a stint in hospital and was pretty sick as a kid and came out the other side as a really shy, just kind of downtrodden kid and um, mum's solution to that was introduce me to horses and sure enough it worked wonders and I think she's still regretting it now 20 odd years later but um, yeah I've the horse I've got now Cherokee I've had her for 12 years and she's such a gentle yeah she's a gentle giant and she's 30 years old so that's quite a feat for a horse. What's the average lifespan of a horse? Oh, like 25, 20 to 27. So, oh yeah. my gosh. I know. So it's kind of like this 
all the time that I get home and I get to spend with her, people might call me crazy, but she's literally like my child. I've had her for, you know, so long now. And we, like, I look after her every day. So kind of now I appreciate, especially now I'm a bit older, how, you know, every bit of time I get to spend with her is kind of precious now that she's that old. So, yeah. Yeah. So can we, can I, can I ask, um, you said you were quite sick as a kid. What, um, and that was before you were four. So yeah. what, what oh, that, was all that about? That, that's a good story. Um, so, <laughs> they, <hope> so. <laughs> no, well, actually on my mum's 30th birthday, I was, became really ill and I was vomiting. Uh, I was a three-year-old and vomiting and they just, mum and dad thought I had gastro and it was her 30th and they had all these people coming over for a big party and that's, you know, isn't always the way. Uh, and I just kept vomiting. So, you know, they cancelled the party and mum ended up taking me to hospital that night uh, and they kind of just discharged me pretty quickly uh, with gastro and then the next day I still wasn't any better and um, mum's taken me back to the hospital and they realised I had pneumonia as well. So that got me a oh. ticket into a hospital bed. But um, what they kind of didn't realise was I was complaining of a pain in my tummy and I think because you're a three-year-old and you've got pneumonia and gastro, you kind of got drugged up pretty quickly and um, mm-hmm. so the painkillers kind of started masking that pain in my tummy a little bit. And on Wednesday night, my appendix ruptured. Uh, and oh. that was at uh, like our local hospital at Monavale Hospital. And so I went downhill really quickly and everyone, like mum kept telling the doctors, because she's a nurse herself, kept telling the staff, like, this isn't my kid. Like, something's really not right. And I was you know, in and out of consciousness. And the one of the doctors, the junior doctors, actually just said to mum on the slide, he's like, if I was you, I, I would take your daughter out of this hospital and go to, like, a major, you know, Sydney emergency. And so mum did that. She drove me over to Westmead Children's Hospital and I got admitted uh, again with just gastro and pneumonia and lo and behold it was four days later when oh I was my pretty god much, yeah I was pretty much dead when um the doctor literally mum the last thing mum saw was um them just running with me in a hospital bed oh. and <laughs> they, they didn't even get consent before I went straight into surgery so they um because my appendix had ruptured and they'd had that that delay I guess of not not knowing and I was you know on painkillers and they kept x-raying my stomach and they the, it looked normal because there was no appendix almost it had ruptured and then it wasn't until it was a full-blown infection and septicemia that they uh did the final x-ray and just saw a black mass on on day four and kind of got lost in the system a little bit too because you know, it was over a weekend and you change over staff and there's not as many doctors. Um, So, yeah, um, you know, I still get letters from that doctor uh, that that missed it and kind of told mum that she was just being an overbearing mother and uh, to to take her nose out where it doesn't belong. And, uh, yeah, he still sends me a letter and apologises and checks in. So, I think he realised how much of a mistake he made and that cost me the next kind of four months in ICU at Westmead Children's Hospital. So, Holy I, shit. Yeah, I didn't eat a single piece of food for the next three months because I just had a complete uh, bowel obstruction and then, um, you know, a rupture of the bowel. Like how I didn't die and mum says there were so many nights that they, they told mum and dad to say goodbye and uh you know, my little sister Meg was alive and she had to go live with my grandparents. So, like, when I finally came out of hospital, basically six months later, Meg didn't even know, remember who mum and dad were. Like, it was just a crazy period. So, but I think coming out the back of it now, I'm so appreciative. And I think that's 100% what put me into nursing, really. Yeah. I'm... Sorry, I'm blown away because I just wasn't expecting this conversation to go down that direction yeah. so quickly. Yeah, um, it's pretty crazy. And it's it's funny, like I'll 
I, I have no fear, but I, like, I've got scars all over my stomach, like massive ones. Um, you know, majority of the scars, they, they never stitch them up because you know, I ended up having over 40 operations in that kind of four to five month period in hospital. And they just never like stitched the um, incisions up because they constantly had to keep going in and trying to unpick what was a, a complete bowel obstruction and then rupture. So, yeah, it was such a full on period. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm kind of proud of it though. So it's, I don't, I don't remember I've got the scars. They're just like, they've always been there. And so when I like meet new people or it's funny, like I'll, when I move to like, say someone like Danielle, my new coach and you like get in the pool for, you know, a swim in a two piece the first time, they're like, holy shit, what happened to you? (laughs) So it's, and then it makes me like kind of reflect and be like oh yeah like something pretty big did like happen to me and I'm still here and that's pretty awesome I'm literally I've just jumped on your Instagram page because I'm like I don't think I've noticed them I need to go back um and I'm yeah looking at the at the photos and we will we'll add some photos to uh when we publish this so that people can see um but yeah you kind of never know the yeah. biggest scars, the biggest scars actually, like it's from my breastbone and it goes all the way down to kind of like, I don't oh. know, your pubic bone. So it went straight through my belly button um, and it's probably about 15 centimetres long, but they actually stitched that one up. And so you actually kind of can't see that in majority of the photos, but like my right. belly button's kind of reconstructed, I guess, because it literally got cut, cut in half. So, yeah. Wow. So... Okay, I've got so many questions to unpack. With this. Let's uh, let's dive in. Um, so when when someone does notice and asks, to me it sounds like it's not an offensive question. You 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 almost wear them as a badge of honor when you're reminded of it. Oh, hundred percent. I'm. I think as a kid, like in primary school, I was really self-conscious and you, mm. I go back and see photos and photo albums and it's funny, like when I'm in a cosy, I was such an active kid and, you know, grew up doing surf lifesaving, but I was always in a one piece and always, if I was in a two piece, you'd always strategically have my hands kind of wrapped around my stomach and I was really embarrassed by it. But I think kind of literally as I grew older and into high school and got really quite involved in sport, I just grew to be proud of it. I mean, I was... I'm able to yeah. do what I what I do now, uh, which not many people, you know, c- can can do a triathlon, let alone at the elite level. So I'm just so proud that I made it, you know, out the other side. And you only need to kind of talk to my mum and dad about that period. And mum still cries to the day. Like I can't imagine how emotional it was for for them to go through, and even like for the doctor to still kind of send a letter every now and then. Um, yeah, it was a it was a massive period that your story is life-changing for so many different people from the sounds of things. So the the doctor, clearly that was a, you know, not, not just a career-changing but obviously a life-changing moment for him or experience, I should say, um, to still be writing to you after all this time. Let's hope that, I, I don't know, that he won't, he hasn't made that mistake again or he's more thorough with his um diagnosis or like how does that make you feel that you've you've changed his life as well yeah I think I think it's massive and I he definitely reflects still to this day and I think more so said at the time to my mum and dad because I think it's pretty easy to see how it could have turned into a massive lawsuit um and mum and dad Mm. kind of reflect still to this day they went for a walk around the streets of Westmead Westmead when um it, it looked like I would make it out the other end and, and they kind of, they made the decision just to walk away and, and move on with our lives and, and not go through more trauma tr- through a lawsuit. And I think he, that doctor certainly learn a lot from my parents and learn a lot for himself and his practice. And, you know, mum's no best. Like mum, a mum knows their own child when yeah. mum was a, mum was able to straight up pick up, pick up that I wasn't myself and and this wasn't, you know, this isn't what her three-year-old was like. And, you know, for four or five days there, it she just felt like she was beating her head against a wall and they were just telling her, you know, no, she's just got pneumonia. She's a three-year-old with pneumonia and gastro. Like she she's going to look unwell. And mum's like, no, there's something more going on here. Like this, it's, it's not right. So 
yeah, it, it makes me pretty proud to hopefully feel that, you know, maybe because of that, he might, that doctor might have, you know, spoken to other colleagues and kind of, I know when I went through nursing, we, we certainly learnt uh, that in terms of patient care and when there's kids involved, you always mm. listen to the mum because it's some, there's something about that mother's instinct. And, you know, I think it's 100% something I took into my nursing kind of practice too. And one of the best stories I remember from when I did my nursing degree was uh, I actually got placed at Westmead Children's Hospital. And um, this oh. is like, this is surreal. Like this is kind of like the icing on the cake really. But um, I feel like I, I'm about to cry. Like, I feel pretty, like that's where this is heading. <laughs> it was really cool. So I I was on a different ward. I wasn't on the John Hunter ward, which is where I was um, for the period. And But when I left, Dad donated like a lot of um, gear. He's in like the audiovisual kind of, um, I guess, business. So back in 1997, a lot of the rooms, like kids didn't have TVs in their room and whatnot. So kind of Dad donated a lot of gear and set them up there so that – and even little things like Mum literally – did not leave the hospital that whole time. So she spent, you know, four or five months lying on a pull-out chair, couch, bed, whatever you want to call it. So there was kind of little changes that we made. And I wanted to make, like, to go back to the John Hunter ward when I was on that placement and kind of see if I remembered it and uh, see if, you know, a few of the things that we left a legacy of were still there. And uh, I was walking to the to the ward and the there was a nurse well, there was a few nurses that like kind of looked after me routinely and for a few years after I left hospital they would come to like birthday parties or you know Christmas parties they were definitely part of my life for a while but then we lost contact as I got older but um one of those nurses that looked after me had become the nursing unit manager of the John Hunter ward and uh, I walked through the doors of the ward and she took one look at me and I didn't recognize her but um, she took one look at me and said, that's a face I'll never forget. You must be Emma. Oh, oh, yeah. my God. I knew it was going to make me cry. <laughs> yeah. And, like, oh. that, it was just so, so, so surreal. Like, I would have been 20, 21. So, you know, 16 years later I've walked through and I didn't even need to say, you know, introduce myself. Oh, hi, you know, I'm Emma Jeffcoat. I, I just was looking, you know, to, to have a look around. She instantly knew who I was and – um. Yeah, and, and just literally came up to me and gave me a massive hug and was asking how mum and dad are and how my sister was. And, you know, she then met one of my brothers um, back in the day. So it was it was literally like one of those beautiful, surreal circle of life kind of moments. It, it was quite insane. And um, the next day I turned up wow. to placement at the hospital and was in the lift and uh, there was two nurses talking about this. Did you hear this story about a patient that was in, she was in the hospital, you know, like 15 years ago and she's come back as a student and the, you know, friend and numb on the John Hunter ward recognized her straight away. And I was just in the lift, like standing at the back, like, Oh, that's me. <laughs> so yeah, it was so beautiful. Oh my goodness. This is the greatest story ever. My gosh. <laughs> Uh, sorry, what was the nurse's name? Fran, did you say? Yeah. Fran, man, nurses are the absolute best. They are they the are. greatest humans. Oh, my goodness. Um, I Again, like I've got so many questions about all of this. Can we go back to you uh, growing up? Do you actually remember, I mean, I guess at the age of three, is is it too young to remember, or is it just because you know how sometimes when you grow up, you your memories get mixed up with other people's memories yeah. and recollections, and you just don't know what is your memory and what's others. But do do you have any recollection that you're aware yeah, of? A hundred percent. I don't remember. I sure as heck don't remember the whole the whole part of it. And you know, Mum yeah. counts her lucky stars that I don't. But yeah. there's hundred percent like snapshots and because I've been back to Westmead hospital working a few times, it's like flashbacks. It's quite strange. There's yeah. like, wow. you know, there's a little, um, there's the starlight kids room and I've been lucky enough to be involved with the starlight foundation since, since then, because, uh, when I left, 
we got gifted a holiday by them up to the Gold Coast because I wanted to go to SeaWorld. So <laughs> they, um, yeah, they gave our family a, a holiday back then. And so I've, it's a charity I've, you know, loved being a part of since. But even like the kids' starlight room or uh, little things, like I literally remembered that ward, like No Tomorrow in the toy room at the back of it. Um, you know, there's wow. – there, and then there's the bad stuff like, the smell of like that tape that you know someone might strap your ankle or your knee with or whatever like the uh elastoplast is it it's kind of like yeah. that tape that they because yeah. I had a uh, nasogastric tube in because I couldn't eat because my stomach was completely obstructed or my bowel yeah so, so I should say so I was fed through a tube through my nose and uh they taped the tubing across my nose with with that elastoplast tape and um Dad was strapping his ankle one day for soccer when I was probably about oh. six or seven, and Mum just said I walked out and just was pale as a ghost. And we kind of traced that back, and I still feel so nauseous to the smell of that tape. But we trace it back to, you know, being wow. that such a young age, and yeah, and having like, you know, traumatic experience with that, you know, you know, nasogastric tube going in and out each week. So there's little things that I that I remember. Wow. That's incredible. Wow. So, and then going through school and you sort of touched on this briefly um, and how you've changed, obviously, as you've gotten older, but uh, being um, embarrassed about the scars, does, do those memories um, stick in your mind um, in, in, in a negative way or have you really just overcome that and look back at that as just a, a small moment in time? Not anymore. I don't feel negative towards them. The only thing that makes me a bit sad is when I literally look back on photos and, and I feel sad for the mm. for the little Emma that went through primary school feeling so self-conscious of herself when I should have mm. just been, you know, so amazed with my body that I was still alive. You know, the, the fact that I didn't have to have a stoma bag for the rest of my life was a massive mm. win. So, But, I mean, you can't tell a 10 or 12 or – 13 year old kid to be grateful because of yeah. what they don't don't have to go through now you know you only know the body you have and I didn't like mine for a long while while I was growing up in primary school but I'm yeah I'm really grateful yeah. that kind of now I'm fully embracing and yeah I think it, it's made me it's shaped me into the person I am today and I'm yeah I'm really proud of that oh that's so awesome to hear and from what I understand as well um that's part of who, and correct me if I'm wrong, but part of who you want to be as an elite athlete with a platform is trying to educate, inspire, help uh, younger well, girls and boys, but help them sort of recognise the fact that, um, you know, if they've got a skewed look at body image that it, it shouldn't be that way. Am, am I right? Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, at the elite end of our sport too, there, there is a pressure, not a pressure, but you know, there's an ide- ideal look to be a certain way and to be lean and look fit. And I think only when you do get to an elite level in your sport do you just kind of start to learn to be grateful for what your body does allow you to do and, and not be envious of how someone else might look. I mean... Mm. Not many, not many people can get through the training weeks that we we manage. So I think, yeah, mm. that's been something that I've focused on and now kind of do quite naturally. Is just more be grateful for what my body allows me to do and and not shift towards the negatives or the aspects mm. that I might not be so happy with. And uh, yeah, I think if that's a message that I can share with both girls and boys growing up especially through those mm. kind of early teens, yeah. yeah, that'd be really kind of important. Yeah. Ama- oh, you're amazing. Um, <laughs> I, I just I'm really blown away by this entire story and I think um, a big part of it is because I am a mum now and it scares the living shit out of me that – that's a nightmare for every single parent going to the experts and 
needing their help because you don't know what's wrong, but you know something's wrong and someone and they won't listen. That is a, I think about that constantly, or not constantly, but it certainly pops into my head. And I don't know, you nailed it when you said a mother's instinct is unexplainable. And if a mother isn't a crazy mother, um, they know their kid better than anyone else. It just, I just find that fascinating and equal parts scary. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, my mum and I are still so close to this day, whether that made yeah. a massive impact or, you know, whether Super and I would have been great friends regardless. <laughs> the, um, I yeah. think there's definitely something to be said for for a mum and I 100% think you would never want to doubt that and um, nor would you want to get between yeah. a mother and, the, mother and their child, so... <laughs> <laughs> so true. I also love that you just called it the super. She's not just super. <laughs> she's the the super. And after hearing this story, uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, but both your parents, from the sounds of things, walking away, not following the lawsuit, and I completely understand why. Um, but then even to give back to the to the hospital where you're at for months is just uh, an incredible. Um, gift that they've got they're incredible people yeah they are and I've got I've got them to thank for kind of help yeah helping shape the person I am yeah I'm proud mm. of that yeah um horses now you're you said that your mum uh got you on a horse because you were sick and I don't know enough about it but I know that horses are quite often used as um like healing partners as therapy type of thing. Is that the approach that she was taking with horses or? Yeah, hundred percent. She grew up and loved horses. So I think it was kind of a right. go-to instantly for her. And I think you kind of appreciate as a three, you know, I had my turn four in hospital and, and left that's such a critical age for children, like kind of developing those basic social skills. Mm. And for me, I missed a massive chunk of that. Uh, I didn't mm. see really any other kids. The kids I did see, you know, some of them didn't leave hospital, which is, you know, horrible. And, oh. and others and others did leave, and but they came and went. And so you didn't really have those kind of daily interactions with kids to learn those social skills. So I came out and was just this really shy, quiet, just downtrodden kid. And, and so mum did what, you know, mothers do and – kind of threw me into a few different things and saw what lifted me up and um, one of them was horses. Yeah. So, Wow. Yeah, pretty- what? Sorry. No, I just, I kind of, yeah, really grateful and the fact that it's such still, you know, such a big part of my life still. So she she, she did well against that superwoman. <laughs> the super. She's yeah. a legend. Uh, so, um. So when I was a kid, I got kicked by a horse. Uh, I couldn't tell you how old I was because, again, I think it's one of those stories where I think people's recollections of it, like my parents and my grandparents, are the memories that I have, not my own specific memories. Um, But I do remember sort of being a a teenager because my best friend at the time uh, lived on property and they they had horses and did dressage and um, equestrian eventing. Am I getting the right words? Yeah, you're using all the right words. Yeah. I'm impressed. Hey. <laughs> um, and I remember when I first went out to their to their house, to their property, and I was really quite nervous, but I probably went out there every week and over time I got I got better at being around the horses again. And then I, you know, I think probably over a few years I grew to really admire them as these amazing specimens of like, like they are just strong and majestic and um you know all those things look because you can see their muscles and everything they're so powerful but then I feel you look in their eyes and they've got these eyelashes as well that they're just so soulful as well that's how I see a horse yeah I think they're basically like a big dog really and you know dogs yeah. can sense Dogs can pick up when you're in, you know, you're having a bad day or you're a bit sad and they just, you know, come and sit next to you on the couch or whatever it might be. And horses to me are just a bigger version of that. They, As you said, they've just got these warm eyes that could just melt you. And, um, mm. yeah, especially, you know, Cherokee, I've had her for 12 years and I call her name and she comes running up towards me. Like 
It's she's just such a precious soul, and every kind of horse has their own distinct personality. And yeah, you know, I wear that kind of horse freak title with pride because yeah, <laughs> I, I I bloody love them so. <laughs> well, the thing is, you and we spoke about this at the very, very beginning, and I got you to look after Henry. And the reason I um, had asked you is because I think you'd posted something about missing dogs or, or, you know, missing being at home. And I was like, oh, I've got a dog. Like, come and hang out with him whenever you want. And it, you were like, well, like a dog with a bone. Like, yeah, let me, let me come. Oh, definitely, I would like. <laughs> it was like you couldn't answer me fast enough to come and hang out with Henry and. Um, I guess like I've taken for granted that he's always by my side, you know, for the past nearly 12 years. And it's so obvious that you are such an animal person. And I like, obviously I connected with triathlon and everything with you, but that was just another really strong connection with you being an, an animal person. Oh, a hundred percent. Our household kind of like a farm sometimes, you know, <laughs> dogs, cats, chickens, the rabbits, guinea pigs. There was even a snake for a short period. The um, really you take, yeah, you got to take your hat off to my parents. They uh, let anything, let anything in the door. <laughs> but but um, yeah, no, we're just animal people, and you know, as I said, the horses to me are like giant dogs, and yeah, yeah, they're just they're they're not just a pet. They're literally a member of the family, and they've got such unique individual kind of personalities and yeah as I said you know you come home from a maybe a rough day or you're tired from training and yeah it just kind of helps you lift you up sometimes. So if anyone uh, meets you and when when you're back racing when the world sort of opens up again and you're you're traveling the globe if anyone sees Emma or is in the same town or city that Emma's in let her come and hang out with your dog. Please. That's like, I think that's one of the toughest parts. Like I absolutely love what I'm able to do and privileged to do in, in the sport of triathlon. And don't get me wrong. There's so many amazing, you know, pluses that it opens us up to. But I think, yeah, for me, probably the hardest part of the sport is yeah being away from my family, but also being away from all those pets that are pretty much family too. So. Wow, what an incredible story uh, by Emma. And it's not over yet. We still have plenty more to come in this episode. But if you enjoy these kind of stories, these powerful narratives that we get to tell you weekly, if not daily, here at Wits Up, then please help us continue to bring you great content and subscribe to be a Wits Up Patreon member. Just click the link in the description of this podcast. I wanted to, and it's hard to move away from it because there's so many things that I feel like so many parts of you um, have come out as a result of you getting sick when you're younger, like the, the horses, uh, the tight family connection. Uh, and the next thing I was going to, I wanted to talk to you about was nursing, which I also feel like has come out of like that, that was probably the biggest moment of your life and game-changing moment that you didn't even know was kind of really happening at the time. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's only when I, like, do things like this and have the opportunity mm -hmm. to, I guess, talk and and debrief and reflect that I realise how much such a kind of crucial period when I was so young has shaped my life and kind of who mm -hmm. I am. But I 100% think, you know, as as you rightly put all those all those things have come from that but yeah the nursing I, I um I remember I was in year 12 at school and I didn't know what I wanted to do and I went for a walk with my dad one afternoon and I came home and from that walk I I was nursing of course what what that's else it. would I do that that's it why didn't wow. I think of that before now Wow. Um, just quickly, what's your what's what's your dad's nickname? If your mum's the super, what's the what's your dad's name? He's a he's the quieter one, but um, he goes by the ah. nickname AJ. Right, Super and AJ. It sounds like a comic strip. I like it. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> so how does um? So uh, 
I shouldn't say obviously because if people haven't read the article on Wits Up, they wouldn't know. But essentially, Emma moved back to New South Wales uh, before Australia kind of went into lockdown uh, to be with the family and you weren't training for specific races for a while. So you threw your hat back into the ring to help out um, being a qualified nurse. Uh, so you've jumped on the phones from what I understand? Yeah, so I got home and basically contacted kind of the local health district and, yeah, said, you know, I'm, I'm available for work. And I obviously with the training hours that we do, I was looking 100% to help but also looking to to help to the capacity that I can, you know, in in more of that part-time casual role. And with everything going on with COVID, that kind of struck me as a perfect opportunity. Selfishly, it, it meant that I could be based remotely and not actually in the hospital. So from mm-hmm. a, you know, a athlete perspective, not at such a high risk of maybe, you know, potentially contracting COVID. Sure. Uh but yeah, being on the phones and essentially kind of triaging people that might have otherwise gone to the ED or emergency department or to a medical centre mm-hmm. and who could have, you know, quite possibly just had a common cold. Uh, mm. Yeah, they they could call this hotline number and you kind of, yeah, triage them, ask them a few questions and put them into, you know, one or two categories. No, you definitely don't have COVID or yeah, you potentially mm-hmm. might. And and I'll pass you on to the right people there that can start doing all those background checks and referring you on to the right medical services to, to actually get tested. Well, good on you and thank you for, for stepping up and, and doing that. But outside of, um, you know, and obviously we're in, a, we're in a kind of a weird space at the moment, um, which means you can um, do that as part of your, well, on the side of your um, full-time job, which is being an elite athlete. But once once things have settled down and go back to normal, whatever that looks like, where does the nursing career fit into the timeline of Emma Jeffcoat, the professional elite triathlete? Do you think that is a good question? Uh, <laughs> and and funnily, when I kind of speak to nurses too, they always also oh, when when are you going to be finished with this sporting stuff and and go <laughs> back to nursing? And I'm thinking sporting stuff. You don't realize this is like my life. <laughs> um, yeah, but no. just splashing around and, you know, yeah. travelling the world. <laughs> this sporting stuff. Uh, <laughs> but, but, yeah, I 100% think and know that I love nursing and, you know, went down that path because I want to really dive into that and kind of specialise in the emergency care side because that's where I would ideally love to see myself, you know, working down the track. But I think for me... At the minute, my focus lies with triathlon. I, you know, your body's only got a short window in comparison to your whole life to um, really mm-hmm. go after those big dreams in terms of sport. And um, so, yeah, my focus is bang on that. And uh, the nursing, as they say, there will always be a job for you somewhere. So yeah. whether, th- whether that might be the back end of 2021 now, uh, depending what happens next year or 2022 or, you know, later down the track after the next three-year cycle. I'm kind of not putting a pressure or a, a date on that for myself. It's more just about making sure I stay up to date with my clinical hours that you need each year. So you need like a minimum right. of 180 hours work and the continued learning, which is kind of all online these days, just staying up to date with the knowledge. Right. Okay. So, yeah, right. Okay. That's, um, that was going to be my next question. How do you continue sort of rolling that over? Um, interesting. It's so funny when people, um, and I don't even think you have to be an elite or a professional triathlete, just a triathlete, uh, just, sorry, a triathlete, an age grouper, when you tell people what you do, they f- really don't fully understand or grasp um, how much work is involved. Um, it is. I, I feel like, oh, that sporting stuff is a very common reaction to triathlon. Oh, seriously, I I have a joke now with um, a few friends because it just is something that gets thrown around all the time. Like you might say, oh, <laughs> and, and you you don't want to, you know, 
put bets on yourself and tell people exactly what you do. So you, you do it politely and say, oh, you, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a triathlete. <laughs> and um, quite commonly the next line is, oh, my, my mate Joe Blow, he does triathlons. And you're like, <laughs> oh, you've kind of undermined ex- all the hard work I do, but no worries. <laughs> oh it's so funny (laughs) it's kind of similar to that um when I say that you know I grew up in Tassie and it's like oh do you know my mate blah 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 and you're like sure yes Tassie's a lot bigger than what you think and so is elite and professional triathlon is a lot bigger (laughs) than what people think spot on it's like oh there's a lot of people that do that sport and uh there's actually quite a small percentage of us that make it to the top elite level. But, yeah. Uh, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> um, as a surf life-saving iron woman, did you grow up on Nutrigrain? Oh, no, I'll be honest, no. <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't get approved by super. <laughs> oh, too much sugar? Yeah, I was a wheat bix kid. Yeah, fair enough. It's a thing, like – I mean, I remember growing up and you, it was kind of not drummed into us, but assumed that Nutrigrain was like the healthier option. But I think the sugar content is very similar to Cocoa Pops or Fruit Loops. Yeah. Do you want to know the honest truth? We feed Nutrigrain to our horses as a treat. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bit of bit of biscuit and sweet. They love it. Oh my goodness! Actually, I used to I used to eat them like. Um, like lollies. So, yeah. I, yeah, I wouldn't really have it as cereal, but I'd shove my hand in there and, um, yeah, grab some for an afternoon snack. Is it – that's – it's Australian, right? It, anyone listening to this in the US or Europe probably wouldn't know what Nutrigrain is, would they? No, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Australian and it's very much synonymous with the uh, Nutrigrain Ironman, the, the uh, racing series. Yeah, the other Ironman. The exactly the other ones. <laughs> um, what what part of that style of uh, multi sport would you call it? Multi sport. Yeah, yeah. What do you miss the most from that? Honestly, surf club in Australia is just so social, and that's probably one of the biggest things I miss in terms right. of we just grew up every afternoon training together you'd train in the morning in the pool and then by the afternoon you'd be on the beach and it was just that culture where you kind of trained every day with your best mates and you grew up together too you know I did surf club since I was probably six or seven through till you know 20 and um yeah yeah, it's it's kind of like a big family by the end of it and and it's just a whole lot of fun you know Kind of, well, as you said, it's multi-sport, so I, I loved that element as, you know, I love just as much in triathlon. And yeah. um, I just think the bonus is uh, you get to play in the surf and it's just so unpredictable, you know. We sometimes get to yeah. see that uh, surf element in a Malulabar World Cup, but, um, you know, for us when we raced, that was every race. It was so unpredictable. You just didn't know what the surf would throw at you. Yeah, and that's the thing. Um I mean, anyone who knows Emma, um, you can see her eyes light up when the surf kicks up for for an event, particularly at Malulabar, because that's where we can expect a little bit of surf. Um, but uh, globally, Australians are known um, to be pretty decent swimmers because the majority of Australians, and I'm going to say on the mainland in Tasmania, <laughs> I did not grow up going to surf lifesaving. Um, but a lot of Aussies, that's just part of, their lifestyle they're growing up uh, as a kid yeah 100 percent. it's it's kind of just ingrained isn't it I mean and I think even if you don't continue it through your teenage years I think it's just so important for kids to kind of learn surf safety and the basics of how to get themselves out of trouble in the surf yeah that's what I find fascinating because I have no idea, but I love standing on the start line and, again, particularly at a race like Malulabar um, and listening to someone who knows how to read the surf and read the water. I I just find that so fascinating because I have no idea where to see if there's a rip or um, now I don't even know any of the other terms, but, you know, a current or um, like quite often. Yeah, where the sandbank is, where the waves are breaking. 
Yeah, and why it's smarter to swim what looks to be further away but will actually get you to shore quicker. quicker. Like you see people um, who don't understand that watching from uh, from the beach and thinking, what the hell are they doing? I've seen you do it. Like you go off on almost a right angle to everyone else and you get into transition, you know, minutes before people. Yeah, I think it's – I remember when uh, Malulaba 2018, which is like one of my fondest memories looking back and I actually had mum mm. and dad there at that race and it was the first time, you know, I'd had them both at – at one race, which is pretty epic. And, uh, you know, that day turned out really well for, for me. And But that swim, I remember Dad was watching from somewhere and uh, the people next to him, there was like a set coming through. Yeah. And yeah. I apparently I stood up on the sandbank and then turned behind and saw the wave, you know, forming. And I turned and run back out to see. And the guy sitting next to Dad has been like, what? what is she doing? She's going the wrong way. And dad, dad knew exactly what I was doing. You know, like, you know, if you can get onto a clean wave before it's broken, it's going to, you know, potentially take you a lot further than getting on a bit of whitewash. So, you know, I ran back, yeah. I ran back out and got on that wave and, you know, dad was just quietly standing there listening to all these people who, like you said, you know, it, it would be fascinating to watch when you don't actually understand kind of the theory behind it. Definitely, um, and seems like well, a it seems stupid, uh, yeah. but then b when you go, all right, well they seem to be know seem to know what they're doing, um, but is that a massive risk? Like, what if you don't, you know, what happens if you've run out and you miss that wave? That's when you're in trouble. Yeah, exactly. I think that's kind of what I love love about the surf is it just forces you to be so in the moment and make those snap kind of decisions based off your ability to read the conditions and what you think, you know, the wave might do or the current, what the currents are doing. And I guess, yeah, I'm lucky enough to have grown up racing the surf for years. So it kind of is almost like instinct. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to you saying that um, for, for quite some time when you were younger, you, you were the shy kid. Um, do you feel like, cause I don't, I don't see you as shy at all. I I, I view you as uh, not not a complete extrovert, you know, or anything like that. But you're really bubbly, really welcoming. Um, you, I find whenever I speak to you, you listen. You're interested in other people. Um, I I don't see hints of that shy kid at all. Do you see that shy kid in you anymore, or is she a part of the past? Thank you, Steph. Um, no, I, <laughs> I, um, I definitely did for a long time see that shyness, and only probably of recent years has that kind of drifted away. But I would hundred percent put that down to just being confident in my own skin. And right. Mum always said, growing up, once I was confident with the people I was around, I was loud and bubbly and chatty. But if I didn't know you, I wasn't comfortable around you, I was shy. And I think mm. that's kind of been something that only in the recent years as I've become more confident in myself. So, you know, I don't need to know a group of people to feel comfortable in that situation. I just am happy within myself. And so I think that's kind of been something of recent times that that's changed. And yeah, as I said, you know, it shapes you into the person you are and I'm, I'd like to think I'm a pretty happy and welcoming person. So thank you. Yeah, definitely. And I th- I do wonder if, um, you know, maybe four or five years ago, because how long have you been in triathlon for now? 20, the 20, oh, the top probably three years max. Yeah. Because I'm just, I'm just trying to cast my mind back to figure out when I would have first sort of come across you and, um, yeah, I mean, and obviously I didn't know you straight away, but I feel like I've seen that difference. But it may just be because we've had more opportunities to bump into each other and see each other at races. And, you know, so that that might be one of the things. But, yeah, from from what I've seen of you in the last year, um, yeah, you, you're – it takes a – I think it takes a special skill and a special person to um, make other people feel – so welcome um but then also because i've spent time with you and your squad that you're still kind of relatively new to you know um 
but you just seem to have fit in there seamlessly from, from what I can see. Oh yeah. hundred percent. It's I've loved all the time I've spent so far with the Elotic group and, and yeah, I think it's, I'd like to think it's maybe like the nursing side to me in terms of mm-hmm. that nurturing. And, and it is, I'm quite conscious of it too, in terms of in a, in a room, I, I guess I know what it's like to feel shy or, or be the right. one that or doesn't know when to talk or, or so I'll just be quiet. And now that I've grown and into this confident and just calm person in my own skin, I then kind of look I, I don't know, I sometimes feel like I look around a room and you kind of just can spot someone that you just invite into a conversation or, or just, start, you know, yeah. have a chat have a chat to them. Because, I, yeah, I think when you've been in that situation yourself, you can see it in others, if that makes sense. And, yeah, there's yeah. part of me that, that wants to be able to help other people, I guess. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very unique skill, in my opinion. Um and it's a pretty powerful one. It makes people um, drawn towards you. Uh, so good on you. Good Thank job. You. <laughs> Cheers. Um, we're going to have to start wrapping things up. Um, and I say this all the time, but I, I don't want to because obviously I love a chat and clearly you're not shy of a word of, or two, uh, but we both have to do things i'm sure you've probably got a bit of training or something to do this afternoon um but before we go uh this is a question that i've been asking uh everyone on the podcast if you've listened to the last few you'll know what the question is there's a (laughs) test for you do you know what it is to be honest i've been listening to some (laughs) of your i've been listening to your older older files that's okay um it's all right. These, these, this is certainly a very new question and it's a random question. And I'm just giving it a crack. Um, I would like to know who is your favourite famous Emma outside of triathlon? There's oh, too many in triathlon. Of- <laughs> Do you know what? I love Emma Watson. Ah, didn't think of her. Emma Watson, um, explain. Yeah. So, well, basically, I was a big Harry Potter fan growing up and loved that series, so Hermione Granger. (laughs) And I guess in the world of social media, I follow her and, I yeah, she's someone I really respect in terms of the values and morals she stands for. And, you know, she's done bits of work for multiple charities and a lot to do with Mm -hmm. the UN and, and fighting for women and equality and kind of the... So all those lovely values that, you know, we don't often see shining through. And I think, you know, with everything going on at the minute in, in the States, yeah, she's someone that I definitely look up to. Great answer. Uh, yeah, didn't even think of her and she's brilliant. Um, I cannot think of anything else that she's in outside of Harry Potter though. No, can neither, oh, no neither can I. I know, uh, she, I know she has been. But I just can't think of anything right now. I, like I think it's one of the, she's one of those. It's one of those characters that will be with her for a very long time. Well, yeah, well, you can't think of Daniel Radcliffe as anything other than Harry Potter. Well, no, except for have you watched the TV show Extras with Ricky Gervais? No, should I? Oh yes. Do you, <laughs> well, do you like Ricky Gervais? Yes, of course. Oh well, if you haven't watched Extras, do it today um it's essentially he's he's his character is an extra at um at different movie sets so he sort of mingles um behind the scenes and meets all these famous people um and daniel radcliffe is one of the people he's one of the episodes and um he plays this just obnoxious um overly sexual 18 year old however old he is at the time that the extras were made and but he's like this big dorky boy who has no idea what he's. T- it's very funny. You've got. I'm not doing it justice. You've got to watch it. It's a really nah, good show. It's. It'll go straight to the top of my list. Brilliant. All of Ricky Gervais's stuff is um, some of my top top favorite um, uh, TV shows. So highly highly recommend. Um, Emma, I'm so sorry to do this, but 
we are going to have to end this chat. We, once again, had lots of technical issues, so it's gone over and above uh, the time that I said to you it would, so sorry about that. No, my pleasure. I, As I said to you, I could talk for, um, well, we could both talk to each other for days, so maybe we'll have to do a part <laughs> two true. when I'm back in Melbourne. Yes, please. I would love that. Uh, come over. You can bring Tam over as well and we can all just have a glass of wine. Um, I know she doesn't mind. No, she likes um, like fizzy pop stuff, doesn't she? <laughs> I, I won't throw Tam under the bus. <laughs> I think we spoke about it uh, online <laughs> in the past anyway. Um, but um, uh, what was I going to say? Before we go, this is your very first podcast you've ever done. How did you think it went? I had a ball and um, I didn't even realise I was doing a podcast. I just felt like we're having a chat. Perfect response, <laughs> Emma Jeffcoat. You are a super star. Um, give your parents a massive hug and Cherokee and other horses. Thank you so much and we will chat to you soon. Thank you. Stay safe, everyone, and um, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Steph. Thanks, mate. Thank you all for tuning in. Hit subscribe, give us a rating, leave a comment, and don't forget, if you're not already a Wits Up Patreon member, sign up in the link in the description. But above all else, keep yourselves knee-dip in awesomeness. <laughs>